think back, if you will, to your teen years. Maybe you're still there. Maybe that was a long time ago. Either way, however, I'll bet you can quickly construct your own personal soundtrack of your favorite songs from that season. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host for The Plugged In Show, focused on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. You know, when I think back on my teen years, one of the most nostalgic aspects of that time was the music that I listened to. Scientists suggest that's because adolescent brains are still developing, and we bond with our chosen music in a way that just doesn't happen as profoundly once we're grown up. That's still true for kids growing up today. And even though we talk a lot about screen time here at Plugged In, popular music remains a significant cultural force shaping the hearts, ideas, and worldviews of young listeners. So today we're going to spend some time talking about what's trending in the realm of popular music and what you need to know as parents. Well, joining me for today's conversation are... Emily Clark. Jonathan McKee. Kristen Smith. I'm actually super excited for our conversation today, and I want to start with what I think is a fun personal question. What was the first music, and and more tellingly, what was the format that you remember buying for yourself? So are you, you're asking, you know, like what like uh, artist <laughs> or song or whatever we purchased correct. first, correct? Yeah, it might be okay. an album, might be a single. Uh, so I don't really i'm i'm going to throw an answer out here i don't know if it's actually true but i'm pretty sure one of the one of the first things that i bought was a jackie velasquez cd um she was a christian singer uh for a hot minute (laughs) um a hot minute is exactly right (laughs) she wasn't yeah she wasn't popular for that long but i really liked her uh when i was a kid and that's the first cd that i remember buying and it was a cd um i remember my parents had some little tapes and stuff but i never (laughs) purchased one um by the time i was old enough to actually you know have pocket money to purchase things like that cds were all the rage yeah (laughs) I think mine so my parents purchased for me Stacey Rico's um, album when I was younger but I think the first thing yeah I think the first thing I bought myself was um, I think it was Yellow Card's album and I used to carry around Yellow Card we reviewed that album (laughs) carried around my Walkman on the bus listening to my Yellow Card so I love that I was working at Plugged In and that I reviewed that Yellow Card album when you were were but a wee lass that's That's right she was a child wait a sec so wait you had it on on tape or was it a cd walkman or a tape walkman oh i don't know what a tape walkman is but it was a cd one that's the original walkman (laughs) oh gotcha i I don't even know what a tape walkman was have you seen 13 reasons why because that's what she record that's what they record all the tapes on yes i'm joking i know what it is no i think i think oh that's right she did record on a walkman but then she played it on a boombox but yeah no uh it was it was definitely a tape world it was either tape or you know record when when uh Adam and I were we lads, we're and we, lads. Uh, um, the, we only dreamed about CDs. And uh, and it is funny because when my kids got iPods later in life, I'd always be like, "Grab your Walkman," and they'd be like, "Dad, it's not a Walkman." That's awesome. And they, they were always, I'd be like, "Grab your Walkman." It's just, it was kind of like you know when you say 
where's the Kleenex, even if it's not the brand of Kleenex? The Walkman was basically the thing that we said for all little portable music devices Mm -hmm. was a Walkman, even because I didn't have a Walkman. I had some generic tape. You know, I I don't even know. It was like a JVC. Yeah, it was a Sanyo or an Iowa or something (laughs) like that. Because I couldn't afford the actual cool Sony Walkman. Oh, they were expensive. But I did have a tape player, but most of it was a boom box in which I had, uh, you know, on my uh, on my dresser. And I think I think one of the first albums I bought was I was growing up, listening to Christian music. And um, I you could go into this Christian music store. And back then you could like listen to they had these tape. They would have tapes on demo and you'd pull a tape out. That was the oh, demo. Yeah. And it was little. It was literally written. That. In Sharpie, it was written demo across that tape, and you could listen. And you plug it in, and you listen, and then you and you you'd fast forward, and then and listen some more, and fast forward some more. And, and I I listened to this one band, and I was like, I gotta have this, and I want to say it was like eighty two or eighty three, and it was Res Band. Do you oh, remember yeah. them, Adam? Res Band, um, and they were kind of this metal hard rock and it was this album dmz and it just had you know it was and it had this literally this one song called white noise where they did this like probably 90 second two minute guitar solo and so i mean for any kind of raw at the time you know uh i mean it, it was it wasn't exactly you know Led Zeppelin or Van Halen or whatever, but I think they really wanted to be. And um, it was, you know, Christian rock. And they would actually go on tour and they would come to Sacramento where I lived um, to this cool format. Warehouse Ministries would have concerts. And I saw them in concert several times, like got their autographs, everything. But that was definitely my first tape. And I played that until probably all the little, um, you know, uh, little magnetic (laughs) yeah (laughs) things fell off the celluloid little whatever that is it was it was hilarious so or you'd be with your friends and you'd be like it's eating it it's eating it and it's eating the tape and you try to you know and you try to stop it and the tape is all jammed up into the you know into into the boom box and you had to piece it together and try to straighten it i mean absolutely and have you ever used scotch tape to try to tape it together absolutely yeah Yeah, the tape would break and you'd be like no you'd scotch tape it together you'd do surgery on your tape you know or take it apart and put it together yeah absolutely So mine goes even further back than that. And I don't even know how I had money or how I got to the store. I don't know how this happened, but it did happen. My first music purchase, I was but seven years old. And it was um, it was Blinded by the Light by Manford Mann and the Earth Band. Uh, and wow. I only recently discovered that that song was a remake. That's originally a song recorded... Uh, and that was in 1977. Uh, Bruce Springsteen recorded it in like 71 or 72. Oh, wow. uh, it was originally a Bruce Springsteen song. I had no idea until fairly recently when that movie came out. Um, but it's funny looking back. I don't know who would have given me the money, but I bought it on 45. And a 45 is a, a record for those of you of a certain tender age. Uh, and <laughs> it was a single, you know, and I my initial music collection was mostly 45s. And interestingly, we've certainly come back around to that with downloading and streaming these days. Albums are less of a thing and people are more into singles. So um, 
Anyway, I think that it shows that music across the last six or seven decades, and really what we think of as popular music, its genesis is really in the 1940s, and then it really took off as teen culture exploded in the 1950s. But for the last 70 years or so, popular music has been a part of the soundtrack of adolescents' lives as they are growing up. And so today we're going to talk about where popular music is at. And if you haven't been, you know, uh, pardon the pun, plugged in to what's happening, uh, we <laughs> hope this will, thank you for the sympathy laugh. I appreciate that. Uh, we hope this gets you up to speed on some of the things that are happening these days. So to kick off our conversation, what are some of the overarching trends in what kids are listening to these days? So what's popular and who are some of the most popular artists? This is kind of a long list. I mean, you could really go on. I think so rap and hip hop and pop basically dominate. And then, of course, there's Billie Eilish in her own genre. <laughs> um, but she is one of them. So like I would say Billie Eilish, um, Megan Thee Stallion, Cardi B, The Weeknd, Ariana Grande, Taylor Swift, Lizzo. I, don't, I mean, the list just goes on. But those are mine. All right. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, your question is, you know, you know, what are kids listening to? What are the popular genres? Um, who are the popular artists? I think it's interesting to mention that um, where they're hearing it, I think, is influencing who's popular. And we've talked okay. about this on the Plugged In show before about how a song will become popular because of a viral video on TikTok. Yep. And um, TikTok is like not in, in YouTube used to do that with, you know, YouTube launched Justin Bieber or whatever, but you know, TikTok um, probably is what started Lizzo. Uh, TikTok is, um, you know, just recently, we even talked about on the plugged in show about that guy that was skateboarding, who was listening to Fleetwood Mac, you know, and all right. of a sudden this Fleetwood Mac song goes, you know, crazy. And, and that's not new, you know, that, and so it is interesting how plugged in young people are to social media and how much that's influencing the music they listen to. Well, and I think that it also probably correlates with the kind of content that's there, you know, when probably almost all of us were growing up, at least when we first started listening to music, it was a pre-streaming, pre-internet kind of experience. And so there were two ways you could listen to music. You could have the radio on or you could purchase it in some kind of physical form. And in, in some ways, I think those things acted as gatekeepers in terms of the content. You couldn't play yeah. absolutely hyper explicit stuff with profanity and, and really, really sexual lyrics on the radio. And, you know, if you were younger and with your parents, if your parents picked it up and saw an explicit parental warning sticker on it, they were probably going to say, mm, no, we're not doing that. But now, because so much stuff, you know, virtually all of it, let's tell the truth, is available online to stream, yeah. those two gatekeepers are gone. And I think that that helps explain at least in part, you know, why a lot of this stuff out there is way more explicit than it was even 15 or 20 years ago. And if you think yeah. of mom and dad, you know, try to be responsible. And so they go to the music app or whatever it is and they go, okay, let me set all the, you know, uh, all the parental controls on this music app. Um, well, then their kid goes to YouTube and listens right. to it, you know, and so many kids listen to YouTube lists. Um, when you look at TikTok alone, 
they've got a list of all their songs that yeah. reached a billion views. Mm-hmm. And the number one was uh, the Tootsie Slide with Drake, because a lot of you know people, of course, love you know the the dance moves that go along with some of these things and stuff. Then there was, you know, uh, WAP by uh, Cardi B, which we won't even get into. Uh, you know, then Therefore I Am, Billie Eilish, um, you know, and, and it goes on. And you've got, you know, really, uh, you know, wholesome people like Ying Yang Twins and Cardi B and people on the list, which mom has no idea what they're singing about. And if she did know what they were singing about, you know, just... Yeah, Google the lyrics on Cardi B or Ying Ying Twins, and you'll be like, "Oh my goodness!" You know, um, and and there, how do you? It's very hard. Let me tell you to set parental control settings on TikTok, and that's where, when we've had discussions on this show about um, what do you do, it a lot of it is just really being involved in what your kids are listening to, and 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 trying to, I think, eliminate headphones in the house and do some of this stuff. So you're kind of more interactive with them because it is impossible to block it all out other than don't give your eight-year-old a device would be really good advice. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're completely right. It's not, it's not the first time though. I mean, I remember as a young kid when I was at soccer practice and like I'd be with my friends in the car and my mom or their mom would get out of the car to go talk to the coach and someone would jump up to the front seat and turn the radio station to what we wanted to listen to. Not this like, you know, I don't know, jazz or whatever was on. (laughs) Um, And we'd listen to like maybe five lines of like a song we shouldn't have been listening to and then hop in the backseat and act like everything was fine. Um, But I think you're right. It is a lot more difficult to try and know what's going on. And so keeping the the open lines of communication and really you can ask and not to say that kids will tell you everything, because even if you have restrictions in your house and you guys, you know, you, you kind of have parameters, they go to school. And so you can't control what other people listen to. Okay. Well, this leads, I think, into a, a great conversation about how do we respond as parents? Because I think you're right. I think, um, if we're trusting some sort of filtering service to totally protect our kids, I think that's likely going to fail. We've got to have a bigger strategy than trying to block content, although that might be uh, a part of it. How do we help our kids begin to think really critically about the lyrics of their favorite songs? And what do you think that requires of us as parents? So I actually have an interesting story. Um, A few days ago, I was in the car and I was listening to a song. um, And Judah, my son, he's three. He started asking questions. He was like, mommy, what does this mean? What does that mean? Why are they saying that? And I just, it's not that I didn't think he was listening, but that intently, I guess I just didn't think he really cared. He was back there playing with like a dinosaur. Um, but it just really made me think like, okay, <laughs> he's awesome. thinking about these things and he's hearing them. And so I'm not at, you know, I don't have teenagers. I don't have kids in middle school. I remember being those ages, <clears throat> but for me, I would say, I, I don't know. I would just say talking, you know, I think like the more, the more you have a relationship where, with your kids where they're comfortable to talk to you instead of just lecturing, because I remember getting a lot of lectures too. And you start to tune that out. And so I think (laughs) the more, the more you can have the the open lines of communication, I think is, is really crucial, not just for music. I mean, this is a huge, I mean, there'd be a huge pro, but it's really just across the board. If your kids feel like they can talk to you without you judging them, like, I can't believe you listened to that song. 
um, then they'll, they'll probably be more inclined to talk. Yeah. You know, we had a conversation about this, um, uh, in 2020, <laughs> it's now 2021. That's still weird to say. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, we had a conversation. We had a conversation on here on the plugged in show about, uh, you know, why do your kids listen to certain types of music? And we talked about how a lot of kids, a lot of times we don't necessarily pay attention to what the lyrics are. We we're paying yeah. attention more to like, okay, I really like the vibe of this song, or I like yeah. the, I actually like the musical part of this song and they don't even care what the lyrics are. And I think that's very true, but I mean, you really do when you actually look at the lyrics to like some of the most popular songs out there, you start to, you do start to question. You're like, what, wait, why, why do they have to say this? Why couldn't we still have this song, but with a better message essentially. And um, that's my personal opinion, but you know, there are um, kids aren't necessarily thinking about that. They, they don't really care, you know, what the lyrics are necessarily. They just care that it's a fun song and, you know, it's what all their friends are listening to. So they want to, you know, even if they don't necessarily like the song, they might listen to it all the time because that's what everybody's listening to. And yeah. That, that's a good point. And to blend what both of you two just said together, um, I, I always look back at, you know, some of my parents, because as someone who's raised three teenagers and now they're out of the house and they're adults. And so now sometimes over the holidays, we have those candid conversations where my kids won't hesitate to be like, dad, you lectured too much, you know, and tell me what a <laughs> screw up I was as a parent. And, uh, but, but it's interesting as I look back, um, I feel like Kristen's advice is so good blending it with your advice, Emily, because I remember times where I was like, oh my goodness, that song's about this and that and stuff. And my daughter was like, dad, I didn't even know it was about that. We just like dancing to it. You know, she was just like, you know, she, she hadn't really <laughs> even paid attention. And it's not saying that it's okay to listen to the Ying Yang twins as long as you don't listen to the music. You know, I'm just listening to the beat, you know, and then they're kind of, you know, singing the words and you're like, well, wait a sec. I thought you were just listening to the beat, you know? I mean, so, so there's a balance there, but I freaked out far too often and would pour on the lecture. And one thing as I kind of got older and by the time I got probably to my last kid, um, I kind of got it down a little bit more where I learned to just try to open up these doors of dialogue and where I talked less and asked questions more and I don't think I honestly ever nailed it. I th it's tough being a parent of a teenager. Mm. It is so hard. But I, if I could go back and do it again, I would talk much less. I wouldn't let them listen to anything they want. I think I would still have some of those rules that I would say, yeah. no, no, we're not going to have that in this house. Or, or, or no, I'm going to wait a little bit until you get that device. I wouldn't necessarily give it to the 10-year-old or 12-year-old. I might wait till they're in high school for some of this stuff. Um, wait till they're a freshman, you know, to give them their first iPhone, that kind of stuff. But it, it is, uh, uh, it, it definitely overreacting does nothing but shut the doors of conversation. And conversation is where values are passed on. Hmm. That's where our kids really learn. And, and we need to, to try to look for those opportunities to ask them questions and listen and hear what they have to say. I think too, I, I totally agree with everything you're saying. I think as I was listening, I, I think it's really probably easy to think as a parent, different when we were kids, right? And we listened to stuff that we shouldn't have, but then you become a parent and you start to to hear and listen and pay attention to what your kids are doing and, and hearing. 
it would probably be easy to think a few songs that are out now are going to like completely ruin your kids. Like (laughs) if they hear this, this will be the foundation that they build about, you know, X, Y, and Z. Now, certainly it can influence it. I don't mean to brush it off, but I, I think it's important to remember that one song isn't going to completely ruin your kid. If that were the case, now I'm not perfect, but <laughs> if that were the case, growing up, I would have already been like gone because some of the stuff right. I've listened to um, is up there with Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion. So, hmm. well, and I think that what we're talking about here, the important word to keep circling back to is relationship. And you know, I think there's a tension always as a parent in everything, not just music, between rules and between relationship. And part of the process of parenting is knowing when one of those approaches is your primary way of of approaching a subject. And I think when your kids are younger, it's appropriate to have more rules where you're absolutely defining the parameters of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And I think as they progress through their teen years, being a teenager is a process of growing in autonomy. I mean, that's sort of the nature of the beast. And so I think giving your kids space to make those decisions, but say, hey, let's talk about this. You know, what what do you think's going on here? I think I've, I've mentioned it before. I had a Shakespeare professor in college who would launch every discussion we had with What's going on here? And here's what I love about that question. Uh, in you know Bible study parlance, it's an observation question. We have to look at the text. We have to look at the words. And that may sound super nerdy, but you know it's easier than ever to get lyrics for any song that you're interested in these days. Print the lyrics out. Say, hey, let's talk about this. And yes, you may get an eye roll. You may even get, dad, uh, but say, you know, <laughs> What's going on here? What what values are being communicated? What do you think about that? And it may be at the end of the day, we have a teenager who still says, yeah, but I love the beat and I want to keep listening to this. Uh, but what we're doing is we're modeling critical thinking, we're modeling engagement, yeah, and okay. we're, we're helping them to, to really think, I think, in an integrated way about how our faith influences the decisions we make. Um, I have a 14-year-old son. He's really into the English rock band Muse. And Muse is kind of a weird band. They mostly sing about like Orwellian things. Most of their albums are concept albums about political dystopia. Uh, and so we talk about that. What do you think's going on here? What What's the idea in this song? What do you think about the way they're responding? And so that process as they grow older even if they do make some choices, like Kristen was saying about songs that would curl your hair, for those of us who still have hair, which is not me, (laughs) um, hopefully it's not just utterly and completely mindless and passive consumption that's washing over their soul, but, but there's some part of them that's really aware of what's going on with the music that they're listening to. So I actually taught, um, I used to be a teacher. I taught ninth through 12th grade and in my English classes, I actually would pull out lyrics often, um, mostly because kids, especially boys, tend to not really like poetry. They want to like bang their head against the wall when we do like a poetry unit. So, <laughs> in order to engage them, I'd pull out lyrics, um, modern lyrics, and we talk about them. Um, and it was actually super interesting because 
there was a lot of resistance at first and a lot of eye rolls. And then as we kind of broke things down and got to talk about the content, kids really started to engage. And like you said, Emily, I mean, they were like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know it said that. I wasn't really paying attention to that. Yeah. But I think one of the biggest things about music, and I'm sure we can all relate to this too, is that music allows you to stay in an emotional place or to feel something. So especially like, I don't know, if there's like a song that maybe you don't agree with as a parent, maybe your kid is in an emotional place that that song is helping them feel that thing. And oh, so yeah. I think that's really the good route. It's like, okay, so where are you emotionally? Because sometimes, and this can be the danger with music, is that it can allow you to stay in a place longer than you would had you not yeah. had music. And that could be a positive thing or it could be a negative thing. Man, that is a great observation, Kristen. And I think uh, I think parallel to that is what's unique about music's influence is that it's a three to five minute, you know, burst of of artistic creativity. And I think I've mentioned this before. You know, we joke about my Star Wars love. I don't know how many times I've seen Star Wars. It's probably in the hundreds. But in terms of my favorite music that I listened to when I was growing up, I have probably listened to those songs thousands and thousands of times. Mm -hmm. And so, and the reason for that is it does provoke or allow for a cathartic emotional outlet. And so we can really use music to manage our feelings or to give us an emotional uh, way of expressing things. And as you said, I love what you said, Kristen, that can be positive or negative. And, and it might even be both, you know, the same song might be a positive outlet for 10 minutes, but if I'm still there three hours later with it on repeat, and I was that kid as a teenager, I would go to my, my bedroom in the basement, put headphones on and the songs that I liked, I might listen to them 50 times in a row. Now that's a, that's a personality thing. Not all kids are wired that way, which is probably good. Um, but you know, as parents, we want to enter into that and not to throw my parents under the bus, but they didn't really enter into that with me. But I think as we're willing and able to wade into what is it that you're identifying with emotionally or how are you responding emotionally, that's a whole nother layer of conversation here that I think is super important. So great thoughts. And that might be a good segue to, you know, talk about Christian music. And honestly, I can, I can tell you with integrity that I don't know the answer when a lot of parents are like, well, so should I say no secular music and only Christian music? Should I make that a mm. rule? I mean, that's Christian parents always want to go to the rules. And I honestly don't know the answer. Um, I tried something in my home that I think worked okay. And as the kids got older, um, I became less restrictive of what they listened to, but we had a rule in our house that um, in the morning while you're getting ready for school and uh, for the last hour as you're getting ready for bed for night that you can only listen to Christian music. And mm -hmm. it was, I have no idea. I heard that from somebody at a parent workshop once and we tried it. So it was kind of this Christian music diet, so to speak, as you're getting up in the morning, as you're going to bed at night and whether or not that you know, is the rule or whatever. I feel like it did something with my kids because they started to actually find, oh, I like this, you know, certain song from Brendan. You know, I mean, they started, started to find these Christian artists that they actually liked, you know, and, yeah. um, um, and I, I can still look back at my daughter. Ashley's got these like, 
you know, Ashley approved Christian playlist, you know, where she's got like these songs that she actually goes, this one's actually good, you know, and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was, and it was kind of cool to see. And it brings out a principle that if I could have just one principle, I would go back and redo um, in parenting overall at that is I would not spend so much energy blocking out the lies as much as trying to tell my kids the truth. I would just mm. make sure my kids, uh, that we did our best to get my kids in the word, whether that is devotions at dinner time or whether that's getting our kids plugged into a, to a youth group where they're hearing the word or a Bible study or whether you're, you know, reading with them at night before they go to bed. But it's like sometimes we can spend so much energy trying to block out the lies when really what they need is they need that that plumb line, that 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 foundation of truth, of faith in their lives so they can navigate these decisions. And when they do hear something that is is skew, is off, is a lie, they go, wait a sec, that's not true because I know because I've been investing in the truth here. And, mm. and that is good, so, Jonathan. So that's one thing I would think about. Yeah, I, I love that. And, and I think that that is a, a terrific place to wind up. Uh, what admittedly I think is a conversation that we could go on for another hour or so talking about because it's a huge issue. Uh, but as parents, we want to help our kids to develop a biblical worldview and and not just as an intellectual exercise, but as something that is real and vibrant to them, that their faith, that their relationship with Jesus is shaping their lives, it's shaping the decisions that they're making and it's shaping their convictions. And I think we have to take a step back and, and focus on the big picture. It doesn't mean that every decision that they're going to make is the right one. But I love what you say, Jonathan, about creating a plumb line for truth. Uh, that gives us a, a foundation to build on and and I think opens the door for conversation in the way that we're talking about here. And, and maybe, uh, I, I think maybe it's because of my own experience with music, Music is so deeply personal in the way that we interact with it. In some ways, I think it's still one of the most influential things that that adolescents encounter. And so I, I just want to say, man, it's important for us as parents to be aware of what our kids are listening to, to enter into that and to be in relationship with them so that we can talk about how those things are influencing their personal and spiritual growth. So what about you and your family? What questions do you have about music and how your kids interact with it? And what challenges do you face? We would love to hear from you. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram or shoot us an email at team at thepluggedinshow.com. And as our thank you for being a part of the Plugged In Show family, today for a gift of any amount, we would also love to send you a copy of Focus on the Family Vice President of Parenting, Danny Huerta's book, seven traits of effective parenting you'll find a link to order that book as well as links to everything else we have talked about here today in our plugged in blog entry for this week's episode well on behalf of our entire team i want to say thanks so much for listening today and we look forward to connecting with you again next week for another episode of the plugged in show the plugged in show